let's start with this. Not one report anywhere exists offering anything remotely resembling tangible reporting on the contract statuses of either Evgeny Malkin or Chris Letang. Good morning to you. Good Thursday morning. I'm Dan Kovacevic of DK Pittsburgh Sports. This is Daily Shot of Penguins. Comes your way bright and early every weekday if you're into football and or baseball. I also offer Daily Shots of Steelers and Pirates where you found this. Elliot Friedman, who's a pretty connected guy up in Canada, over the weekend tweeted out and stated on a Sportsnet broadcast up there that he believed that the Penguins and Malkin haven't yet consummated a deal because they can't agree on money. Now, while I wait for the laughter to subside there, because Elliot might as well have been reporting that the Canadian flag is red and white, that thing, that little non-nugget that Elliot, I guess, felt compelled to put out to the world, gave cover to a lot of other people, a lot, who extrapolated on it, speculated on it. Here are the facts. There are six people total involved in the process between the Penguins and these two players, and that would be Ron Hextall, Brian Burke, and even Burke is secondary in this because Hextall is the only one doing the actual communicating, Malkin, his agent, Latang, and his agent. The end. All of them agreed beforehand to keep everything between them, that there wouldn't be any negotiating, any leaking, anything of the kind going to the outside. They have held to that. Believe me on this. And because of how significant either of these stories would be, our hockey staff has taken the extra step of making sure that we follow what everyone else is saying, what everyone else is reporting or Seinfeldian quotes here, reporting. Because I don't believe it requires a journalism degree nor any level of experience to know that when someone like Elliot begins his report by saying, I believe, there's nothing there. There's nothing there. It's something that Elliot believes. And when everything that follows that is stated that much more vaguely and harmlessly, there's nothing. There's absolutely nothing. So can we get this part out of the way? There's been nothing of substance to make it to anyone. Not in Canada, not in the United States, not even here in Pittsburgh. Absolutely nobody, myself included. Nobody has any idea what's happening with these talks. And from there, well, let's talk about what might happen, but at least let's frame it accurately, because all I'm about to do here is speculate. This portion of Daily Shot of Penguins is brought to you by the good people at the Greater Pittsburgh Community Food Bank, where they're committed to providing food for all of our neighbors in need across western Pennsylvania. They, in turn, need your help. Find out how $1 
can be turned into five full meals. For those in need, visit pittsburghfoodbank.org. Yevgeny Malkin made $9.5 million on his previous contract annually. Chris Letang made $7.25 million. Malkin has acknowledged publicly that he'd be willing to consider a pay cut, although at season's end, he laughed a little bit about that and said, you know, he wasn't going to become a pauper over it. We know that to be true, right? Okay, Latang didn't come right out and ask for a raise, but the way he performed just now would make it at least a little bit odd for him to take a pay cut. And you're not going to pay Malkin less than Latang. You're not going to pay either of them at or less than what Jake Gensel and Brian Rust are getting in the five or six million range, considering both of those players are performing at very high levels and still have a lot of their better years in front of them, especially Jake. So what we're left with here is a range, meaning for Malkin and or Latang, that's somewhere between six and eight. And when you step back from it and really think about it, I'm probably not wrong on either count. It's somewhere between six and eight. And even then, I don't know that it's eight. Because eight would involve a raise for Latang, and you'd be given a raise to one and a cut to the other. Whereas you could find something right in that seven range for both of them, or even a 7.5 for both of them. And you'd have a deal, and you'd make both players very happy because they very much and genuinely want to stay while you go ahead and move on with the rest of your salary cap issues. Notably, and this one I've been pounding since, well, pretty much since Artemi Panarin found the back of the net, the garden, you got to start cutting payroll from that blue line. If you do that, you might be able to keep not only those two, but also Ricard Raquel and maybe even engage Tristan Jari in extension talks. But what we're talking about here, when we're talking just about Malkin and Latang, is a million or two per year. That's it. There's no such thing as they're far apart. They might not do this. They might not do that. It doesn't exist. Mathematically, it doesn't exist. It's not possible. If you seriously think for a second, and I've gotten some responses over the weekend when Elliot said his thing about, you think the Penguins are really undercutting these guys? Do you think? No, I think they probably started out, and again, this is, I think, at six for both of them, and then said, let's figure out something from here. That's why they're called negotiations. There's a back and forth. But do I believe that something has happened or that there's been an event within these talks? No, no, not in the slightest. But then did you notice the word I used there? Believe, because that's all I got. When we come back, J1Q. Today's J1Q comes from Rich Johnston, who asks, as the stars get older, 
can the Mike Sullivan system continue to thrive or does he need to start adapting? You know, as someone who's guilty of stating on a regular basis that Sullivan has his system and he believes in it and he sticks by it through thick and thin, I'm going to probably sound at least a little awkward by adding into that that he's constantly doing little things with it. He refers to them as tweaks, and that's probably the best way to put it. He doesn't stay static. There are foundational principles to the system that he believes in. There are, in turn, standards to the system for players and for their capabilities for them to be able to fit best with it. I don't know that anything I'm saying here is super revolutionary on his part either. He does tweak things. He does listen to his assistants. They don't just put it on autopilot in September and let it fly. Some of it's opponent-based, some of it's situation-based. Some of it is player-based, which is what you're getting at. But the opponent-based stuff is there. You just have to watch for it. The situation-based stuff is absolutely there. All you have to do is go and watch the third period of Game 7. The Penguins were trying to protect a lead. They adopted a different strategy. Watch the video. Watch it again. Watch it closely. Watch for nothing other than X's and O's, and you'll see it. But, you know, the NHL's highest-paid defense didn't get it done. But from the personnel standpoint, Rich, I'll fire this back at you. Tell me which of the stars, and you didn't specify which ones, but I mean, I would have to think we're talking about Sid, Gino, and Latang since they're at the forefront and all in their mid-30s. Which one of those three do you think can't handle the system? or the pace that's required of the system, because none of the three is a winger. None of the three is asked to be first in on the forecheck, which is really where the the youth and the fire and everything else within this system needs to come from. And then from there, which of the three lacks the mobility and the smarts to do the right thing with the puck? My goodness, even Latang had a season where we pretty much got through the whole thing, other than a couple of small episodes, without saying, what was he thinking? You know, that's rare air. And the same thing went to a large extent for Gino. Yeah, he'd make those lateral passes that would get picked off once in a while, but it wasn't as frequently as it had been in the past. The big adjustment that Gino and Latang, I'm not even going to entertain Sid in this discussion, the big adjustment that Gino and Latang have needed to make in getting older, they've already made. And that's being smarter and more responsible with the puck, being closer to the puck, seeing the whole ice, but not always looking at it from the perspective of the great play they can make, but just the best play they can make, the smartest play they can make. This has already happened, Rich. So when you're talking about whether or not an adjustment needs to be made by Sullivan in the future, yeah, he's going to have to continue making them based on the factors that I'd already thrown out there. But the bigger thing is applying players to the system 
who who really work for it. And this is that's not always a cookie cutter thing. It's not always a case where you say, oh, hey, here's a guy who can really fly and he's just hellfire on the forecheck and everything. And it doesn't it doesn't matter because you can then have a great challenge in trying to explain why Zach Aston Reese was such a wonderful fit for the system. And he's not at all a fast skater and he doesn't provide secondary scoring. Why did he fit? Because he won the puck. He won the puck in different ways. He won it through blocking shots, through intercepting passes, uh, through using his body to muscle people off it against the boards. The goal here is to win the puck. That's the goal of that system. And the more players like that that Sullivan has around the stars, the better the system is. There's not always some great, big, dramatic narrative that has to be attached to everything. I appreciate the question, Rich. It's a really, really good one. And I appreciate everyone who listens to Daily Shot of Penguins. We'll do another one of these tomorrow. 